this, uh, the Sunday school class started out really just to connect with all of Philip's heathen friends and, uh, and to get them to come back to church, and that didn't work, so we decided just to keep going. And uh, just kidding, Philip. Um, um, really, what we're attempting to do again every week um, that we're here is just to, um, to realize that there is resources available to us within and between each other, and in um, the economy of God that often we overlook. Um, For a season of my life, longer than I wish to admit, I would look and ask, where the heck are you, God? And that's the PG version of my prayer. And then I began to realize that God is... Um, not only within, but he's between us. Look at the person next to you. If you want to know where, <laughs> if you want to know where God is, often God shows up between us. We're going to talk about this today just a bit. God shows up in the midst. I had a a, a, a rich conversation with someone that I just love this week over way too much protein. And, um, and, and found, like, like, that question being answered in the middle of this conversation. Oh, oh, there you are. Um, and so one of the things that we um, are attempting to articulate in this class is what does it mean to um, move towards a more mature spirituality? I'm convinced that your number of years on this planet does not make you a mature Christian. I know many people that what they believed at 15 was the sa- is the same things that they believe at 50. And that does not mean that you've grown. That means that you have somehow, as we've talked about before, put on a size T-shirt of faith that's called small, and it may have fit when you were a kid. It does not fit when you're an adult. The faith that you were given as a child will run out. It will fail you. And when it does, I think that what we have to do is rethink, recalibrate, look at Scripture again, reevaluate, all those things. And so partly this is what this class is about. Um, It's about doing that work. It's about the work of belief and the work of non-belief. It is about the work of faith and it is about the work of doubt. Those things are always held together on the spiritual journey. Um. As we begin today, is there anything in your life that you're facing that you need more resources for than you than you have at this moment? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Can I just get a show of hands? Any anything? Or, no, no. I'm seriously. Keep your hands up. Some of you like anything you're facing today that you feel like you're up against something that may be too big for you. Yeah. You're in the right place. This is just what it means to be human. And often what happens many times is in church is we have to put on our mask and act as if. In the program Alcoholics Anonymous, we call that um, evaluating other people's outsides by my insides. Um, This is a place where we're attempting to drop the mask as much as we can to enter into relationships with folks that, um, that we feel like that we can go the distance in the journey with. 
we're going to talk about, I think, which is um, today the foundation of um, probably every spiritual thing I've ever learned has come out of this, um, we'll, we'll talk about today. We're going to look at it through movies this, uh, this next season. Um, this is why you got popcorn in your hands. Isn't that awesome? And this is like the, this is not the skinny pop stuff too. We're going full on, like lard and whatever they, all the stuff. This is, this is like Widowmaker popcorn, okay? If you cannot feel your heart constricting a little, go back and get a little more. Um, <laughs> But we're going to do this through movies and through memes and um, uh, over the next uh, uh, season uh, together. Because I, th- I really think that most, uh, most of the spiritual life is not uh, an algebra equation to be solved. Um, you don't need to know what immutability is in theological language. That is not going to help you on your spiritual journey as much as it, what does it mean to share secrets with someone that you've carried around for all your life. And so often what we've done in modernity is we've put theology on a shelf and we've, we've almost assumed that you will be tested on this, right? And we have a gap between our relationships and our life and our relational life and then what we think is our spiritual life. I really think the only spiritual life we'll ever have is our relationship life. I really think that's the only place that God cares about and God shows up to. Um, and so we're going to look at um, um, different aspects of the spiritual life in our life, because those are, th- those are the, the same things um, um, through movies. And so we're going to look at one of those today uh, through, the, um, through the lens of, uh, do you all know the movie Stand By Me? I freaking love this movie. This is, a, it's an old, I think it's like an eight, it's got to be a 1980s or something, I think, so... Yeah, it's dating myself. I probably saw it in the theater like a number of times. But uh, it's, it's based off of a Stephen King short story called The Body. And it's about a group of these kind of misfit kind of young kids. Um, um, if, think about the Goonies that grow up a little, right? Uh, these kids that, that they hear um, they, somebody has been murdered and been stuffed in the forest way back. And they decide, like every you know, 12 to 13-year-old kid does, uh, um, let's go find it. Let's go see if we can find it. And so the whole story is just about these kids and their friendship all along the way, the travails they get to, the older bully kids that almost uh, um, 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 really wipe them out. Uh, and it really is about their own travails growing up and how they share those things together. This clip is from the very end um, of the movie, and it, uh, it has River Phoenix in it, uh, those of you who know the much better actor than his brother, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, So, uh, and this is uh, Stand By Me. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern, until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. I'm never gonna get out of this town, am I, Gory? You can do anything you want, man. Yeah. Sure. 
me some skin. I'll see you. Not if I see you first. Chris did get out. He enrolled in the college courses with me. And although it was hard, he gutted it out like he always did. He went on to college and eventually became a lawyer. Last week, he entered a fast food restaurant. Just ahead of him, two men got into an argument. One of them pulled a knife. Chris, who had always made the best piece, tried to break it up. He was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. I, um, I can make a case that from Genesis to Revelations, the primary thing that God is up to is relationship. The formation, the redemption, the creation, the reordering of relationships. Um, one of the doctrines that stands central to the Christian faith is the doctrine of the Trinity, which is basically like a bunch of smart people trying to figure out God, which is always a bad place to start. <laughs> but they come to the agreement that God at the end of the day is relationship. The mystery of God somehow is, is made up in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anselm um, says, uh, no, Augustine said that really it's like this dance between uh, Father, Son, and Spirit that's happening where each one of them are saying, no, no, you go first. Oh, I like that move, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's just that, that, that love is created, created out of the dance. So much so that when God, uh, Yahweh, comes to, in Genesis, comes to create human beings, it's out of a deep sense of God wanting to be in relationship. And so God creates, in Genesis, Ahadam, um, uh, Hebrew for earth creature. And the first problem in creation is not that um, sin has to be overcome. It's that isolation occurs because um, um, Adam, Ahadam, this earth creature, is alone. doesn't have anything to mirror what it means to be alive. And so Yahweh creates out of the dust this other earth creature. And then Adam says, Ahadam says, oh! 
this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. This is what, in a sense, what he's saying, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be alive. And the very substance of what it means to be alive is that we are in relationship. Jesus shows up. And I can, I can make a, an argument that from the beginning, what God has been doing is moving closer and closer and closer and closer to the object of His love, which is you and me, ultimately in the form of this person named Jesus who puts on flesh. It's an odd thing, our um, idea of Christianity, that at the end of the day, God shows up and puts on flesh doesn't lose what it means to be God, but displays what it means to be God in the, the, the flesh of Jesus. It's crazy. And then Paul picks this up and even begins there to, to show that at the end of the day, relationship is all that Christianity is. It's not about dogma. In the end of the day, belief will get you into the parking lot. It is not the game. Most religion stands in the parking lot yelling about parking spaces, where you ought to park, how much it's going to cost you. It's crazy. And I think that's why a lot of people have just evacuated churches in America. They're tired of parking lot Christianity. What's the game? How does God meet me in the midst of my own loneliness, in the midst of my own um, travails, in my own addictions, in my secret self, and the things that I don't want to share with anybody in this room? Where is God in that place? Where is God in the downturn of my life? Where is God when I achieve something so incredibly wonderful and it still feels like um, there's something missing? If religion can't get at that, if spirituality has nothing to say with that, we ought to just go home, folks. But I think it actually does. I just think that we have a culture um, that's been approaching it wrong. But I think that our hunger underneath our culture is stronger um, 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 than anything else. And so the biblical narrative, the biblical witness, um, is always um, the fact um, that God shows up in the redemption, creation, deployment, and reordering of our relationships. There's a, a comedian by the name of John uh, Mullaney who says this. He says, I think that the greatest miracle of Jesus was not that he turned water into wine, but that he had 12 best friends in his 30s. <laughs> and they weren't his wife's best friend's husbands. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I think it's really great. And I, when I think about it, I think that's probably true. I think, I think this guy is, is getting at a theology of relationship that, that eluded me in seminary because they were obsessed that I had the right answers about the transubstantiation or about what it meant to, to be in systematic theology. I think all of that, again, is just the parking lot. And I think the truth is, is it's really hard to make friends as an adult. You, you all experience that, or is it just me? It's hard to make friends. I think, I think the stand by, uh, stand by Me little clip at the end is really true. The, the best friendships that he had was when he was 12, which I really think is a sad 
uh, state of what it means to live as an American in this time um, um, of our history and existence in the world. Because I think at the end of the day, the most um, crucial investment we will ever make uh, in terms of a mature spirituality um, really is, um, is our friendships. I was talking to Robert Hilliker a couple weeks ago, and he reminded me of a study uh, that says the poverty of relationships is a better predictor of health outcomes than poverty itself. I'm going to say that again and just sit with this. Poverty of relationships is a better predictor of health outcomes than poverty itself. That's based on um, Bruce Perry's research and all the national data that we have um, uh, accumulated on adverse child experiences. We know that having strong social relationships, and not just media-style relationships, we have a thousand people that like a post. If you become an influencer and you can quit your job because you have all these friends, um, uh, uh, it's not that. But two to three relationships, your rider dies, as they say. Folks that will go to the mat with you about anything. Those are the kinds of friends that um, really affect the outcome of your life, both socially and spiritually and physically. I want to show you a, a clip of, uh, of a movie I shouldn't encourage you to watch, but I love it. It's called The Town. And uh, it's uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Jeremy Renner are in this. And uh, they, they talk about the nature of friendship and the core of what it means to have a ride or die probably better than anything I've ever seen. And um, um, they are criminals in the town. It's, uh, it's set in Boston. You'll know it by their accent. Uh, and uh, um, uh, just a quick setup for this is that um, Ben Affleck is falling in love with a girl, and he's been following her around and knows some stuff about her and finds out that she's having some problems with some guys that are kind of bullying her and kind of uh, uh, extorting her. And so uh, this, is, uh, this is what happens. It's my work truck. If you have problems with your Prius, I can always throw it in the back. How did you know I had a Prius? I took a guess. You, I mean, it just seems like a, a toonie car. Why, did you really have a Prius? Yeah. Really? I had a Prius. It got vandalized, of course. <laughs> what happened? Doesn't matter. Now I'm forced to walk a mile through the project. There were these guys, and they started... What? You know, I'm not sure if it was the same guys who trashed my car, but... Guys what? They started getting... You know, it started with yelling when I walked by, and then it got really aggressive, and... Dude, what were they doing? Once glass bottles started getting thrown, I started coming to terms with not being cool enough to walk through the project. They threw bottles at you? It's not, I'm, I'm fine. I just have to, you know, go the long way. It's all, it doesn't matter. No, I just have to live with it, I guess. You remember what they look like? I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later, and we're going to hurt some people. Whose car are we going to take? I love that. <laughs> that's a ride or die. Not asking about anything. Whose car are we going to take? You know, that's, that, that's, that's, the, that's the one, as the scripture says, that stands closer than a brother, right? 
That's somebody that's going to be for you. That's somebody that's going to call you in the middle of the night and say, I can't tell you why, I just need you here. That's somebody that you hear about, a friend, that's having a rough time, and they feel so much shame that they don't know how to get out of it, and you show up unannounced with flowers or food or just a Coke or something, but you show. We... um, um, we're finding out that friendships are the single most important factor influencing both our psychological and our physical health and well-being. And I would say and argue our spiritual well-being. I I put all those things together. We divide those things up. We divide spiritual well-being and then we make it different than our psychological or social or physical. I think all those things are a package deal. And I think that we can talk about them individually. Um, I think that's what the academy is for, so we can understand them and explore them. But we experience each of those as a wholeness, right? That's why often when you're sick, um, um, you, you become anxious. There's a psychological aspect to being ill, right? There's a spiritual aspect to being, if you're feeling really depressed, It's hard to feel spiritually vibrant when you're depressed. Those things um, uh, have the tendency to stand at opposite to each other. And I think that we are an integrated whole uh, spiritually. And so I think it's uh, um, um, all those things exist um, as as, as one thing. Um, This is what uh, Robert Dunbar, Robert Dunbar, you should know his name, um, write his name down, or he's written a bunch of books. He's a sociologist and anthropologist who really talks a lot about friendships. He talks about this inner circle of friends that we that that um, you can only have so many inner circle friends. Usually it's family and a couple more. That's it. And then you've got social friends and then you've got kind of this other larger acquaintance friends. Um, that usually have to do with about 150. We max out, they say, at about 150 folks. And acquaintance friends are those folks that you might see um, 3 a.m. at a layover in Hong Kong, and you would say, hey, I'll hang out with that person, right? Maybe. You might, you might see another person and know them and go, eh, no, not hanging out with them, <laughs> all right? That they're not in those kind of circles. And so um, um, Dunbar has done just a ton of study on, um, um, on relationships, Um, And the quality of friendships has a bigger influence on our happiness, health, and mortality than any other factor except giving up smoking. (laughs) One other thing that can help you live longer besides not smoking. Friendship. We, We are the richest country in the world. And by all statistics, we're the most lonely. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, they had all these kind of black and white commercials that said when, when, when you got a dishwasher, what are we going to do with all that time? We put a man on the moon and to come back with nonstick plates. And I had to be over a kitchen sink scrubbing. What am I going to do with all that time? And what we've seen is that as we have grown richer and our technology has exponentiated, that actually there is a correlation between richer countries and loneliness. And I think that what it then means to cultivate relationships in our culture is really a counter-narrative. 
It's a spiritual path that we have to go on. I mean to say this, that sociability is not support. Knowing a lot of people is not what I'm talking about. Being able to, to see uh, somebody at, um, um, at a restaurant and slap them on the back and ask how they're doing and how their kids are doing is not support. 25% decrease of the respondents to say that I have five close friends between 2021 and the 1990s. 25% decrease. There are, um, another study I read this week said that there is uh, uh, two-thirds of the people responded saying, I could use another friend. Look around the room just for a second again. More than half of y'all would show up for a stupid comedy club skit workshop in order to get a friend. You'll show up at a Sunday school class and say things that you may or may not believe in order to meet friends. There is an epidemic of, of, of a dearth of relationships that we're encountering. And achieving more, having more, doing more will not uh, satiate that. It will not satisfy that. Studies show that young people are more lonely than the elderly. Friendships have the tendency to peak in your 20s and then have a sharp decline in the 30s. This is a shocker. Men are less likely than women to rely on friends or to share their emotions with friends because we're acculturated into not sharing. Some of the men in this room were called sissies when they cried on the football field. I know of a team um, in Spring Branch that if a boy cries, they make him wear a pink helmet. This is not 1950s. This is 2023. People, uh, and this is an odd study, but I think it's really interesting. People assess hills more steeply when they're alone compared to when they're with friends. <laughs> which translates as if you if you got something that's going to be um, a gargantuan thing to get over, to do it alone, like cancer, to do it alone, like addiction, to do it alone, like divorce, to do it alone, like adolescent teenagers, you will look at that and you will think, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? That when you have a friend, when you have relationships, that then what you look at, it looks almost doable. It looks better. One of the psychologists that I was reading uh, lately says that in our culture, um, we have what he calls a learned loneliness. That we've just, on this, like, like it's easy for us to say, oh, there's been a 25% decline in friendship since 1990 to 2021. And we kind of put that in the, as if I just said, Mount Everest is the highest, you know, or whatever. Four out of five dentists recommend, you know, like I've just said that. (laughs) But that the, the, the thing that is not normal is that in our culture, we are learning how to live with a profound sense of loneliness, being alone. It's affecting our teenagers. 
suicide rates are up. It's affecting you and me as we sit um, trying to navigate what it means to live in modernity and to, to piece together a second half of life. And we can get to a place where we end up feeling, well, I guess it's just like this. We, we, we get resigned to the fact that I, 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 <laughs> this is as good as it gets. And no wonder we reach out for substances we reach out for experiences, we doom scroll, we try to, to fill that space up with so many things. There's a social psychologist that studies identity development, a guy named Robert Cushman, I love him. And he basically says that in modernity, that um, the self is seen as empty. There's an empty self. You're not full, you're empty. And that there's two, uh, really two, um, um, industries that have been brought to bear to figure out what to do with the empty self. And this comes out of the 1940s when um, that all began to change in this kind of industrial complex where goods and services got to just get thrown and puked out everywhere. He said there's two industries that help fuel uh, up that emptiness. One is the marketing industry and two is the personal psychology industry is that we feel empty and we have to fill it up. Use me, buy me, put, you, put me in your hair, and I'll make you a better person. I'm, I'll fill you up. And often what we've just done um, is just to how to learn. We've, we've, we've accumulated a learned loneliness. In the couple minutes left, what I want to do um, is, um, let me say this before I go there. This isn't normal, folks. It's not normal. I know you think you need $10,000, $30,000, dollars more. It's not true. It will not affect your life as much as having a friend that you can share your secrets to, that you can build a life with, that you can live alongside of. We can talk about health outcomes. We can talk about the neurobiology of it. We can talk about the ways that it uh, uh, affects um, us. But I think that there, it's a systemic issue. I think that there's something going on in our culture where we've atomized everything. Where we've said to uh, folks um, in our culture, go to education, get a job, make a lot of money, and you're going to be okay. And that many of us, when we have done that, we get to that okayness. It doesn't feel freaking okay. It feels like, okay. <laughs> and so most of us will end up blowing up our lives because we don't know what to do with the not okayness. Because when I look at you, you look like you're okay. You look like you're playing the game. You're okay. I'm not freaking okay. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to look okay. Right? And so we play this game in church. We play this game where I ask you about ideas about God. And I make sure that you believe the same thing I believe. And I police your doubts. And it's bankrupt. Absolutely bankrupt way of approaching any kind of relationship with God. 
I want to give uh, three points for a starter kit for relationships. Some of y'all might find this to be on the shallow um, end of the deal. Um, some of you, um, I think all of us can probably begin to take this uh, to heart. Again, my premise is the deepest, most impactful thing in your spiritual life is not going to be another lap around Galatians. It's going to be knowing someone deeply and experiencing God in that place, experiencing freedom in that place, experiencing the ability to confess things that you've hung on to all of your life, your doubts. That's going to have the deepest impact on your life. The first thing I want to say is that we have to practice vulnerability. I know some of you cringe when I say that because I say it a lot. The only spirituality in, in second half of life maturity that you'll be able to achieve will not come through knowledge. It will have to come through vulnerability. And yes, it will make you feel uncomfortable. I think that you need a friend that you can tell how you feel, something about how you feel, and what you struggle with, right? Have you ever seen those, uh, those uh, feeling wheels? You know, those, those colorful wheels that have like 18,000 different emotions on it, you know? <laughs> I was with a buddy of mine, and he's like, my wife showed me that, and I was a little overwhelmed. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said to me, I realized I have two feelings on my feeling wheel. I'm hungry, and I'm horny. All right, bro, let's work on that, all right? <laughs> He's added in angry, so, you know, it's good. We're moving. Progress, not perfection. Right. How do you feel? Like, not just like, I'm good. How you doing? But you need to have a friend, and this is not something that is, most of us end up like um, um, contracting this out to a therapist, right? I'm not talking about therapy. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about somebody that you can sit with with a cup of coffee uh, over a plate of barbecue or way too much protein and just say to them, how are you? And you're able to tell them how you're feeling, even if your um, feeling wheel only has two emotions on it. How do you feel? And then something you're struggling with. I learned early on in my program of recovery that you're only as sick as your secrets. And some of us, um, I, I made a pact with my soul, with my shadow, never to share some things that I had done in my life, never. And I could never get sober in my uh, program of recovery because I was never willing to share some things that I had done. And I realized in my own process of getting sober was that anything that you bury is always buried alive. How do you feel sharing something that you struggle with is absolutely important? And I want to say that um, a vulnerability is a practice. You don't have to go to a workshop um, 
You don't have to um, have unfiltered conversations with 30 people. This is not what vulnerability is. There's no way around feeling like um, you got your fly down in a sense emotionally, right? You're just gonna, you're gonna feel you're gonna have to walk through some shame to be able to say what you don't want to say, what is deeply necessary, so that God can do the work in you. Does that make sense? That some of us want God to zap us in our private um, 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 closet. And we go to God and we say all these things. And why is it so difficult to say it to a friend? Because God always shows up in relationship. Where the two or three are gathered in my name. It is not good that Ahadam be alone. It, the word human is never used in Genesis until there's two people. So you often, your prayer closet with God is actually avoiding God. You building relationships of deep vulnerability. How do you feel? What do you struggle with? That's where God shows up. That's what happens. I think we must be intentional about it too. I think friendships require initiative. What the uh, studies show is that um, friendships require investment. And here's the thing I didn't realize until this week with some of Dunbar's research is that friendships die fast. You can have a memory of a good feeling of a person that you hung out with, but you have to be intentional about nurturing the friendship. Some dudes that I know feel like, hey, I haven't seen them in six months. They're a really good friend. No. You have good connection, but you must be intentional about your friendship in order to grow. And so intentionality is absolutely um, important. And then I'll say this, the third, is that um, we have to learn how to harness uh, the power of a check-in. And what I mean by that is we live in an uber-fast life. I don't know anybody in this room that's just got like time to, to waste. I don't know anybody that, that doesn't look at their, their Google or their Apple calendar this week and go, <laughs> right? We have to check in with each other. It is easy for us to allow our own culture to separate us. There's times that I've gotten texts from even men in this room that have kept me hanging on when I didn't know if I could hang on. They've kept me going in something that I didn't know if it was worth keep going in. Just a text. Praying for you. How are you doing? Really? And being able to pause there and give a true response is absolutely crucial. Um, this is where God is. The place where God is. Is not in the 16th chapel. Is not in... Um, a work of art, although I've seen God in both places. The place where God consistently shows up is between us. <coughs> My prayer, our prayer in this place, is that whatever happens, we become friends. We invite each other over to each other's homes. We begin to share secrets with each other. I don't care what you believe. I want to know your secrets. 
that's the truth about this place. You don't have to go through those things alone. You do not have to walk alone. Any spirituality you will have is the invitation to let another person in. And whatever spirituality comes out of that is what we'll be pursuing for the rest of our lives around here.